0: First Galatians chapter five tonight. Uh, yes, I did think about scrapping our lesson tonight and having a uh, one last message in regards to the home, the going away of uh, the hearts, of course. But I, then I thought against it, and uh, this is this is a compliment to the hearts. Diane said something like, "Lord will take care of you," and you know what? That's true. The Lord will take care of us. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus said, "The gates of hell shall not prevail against His church." And I don't think the the church rises and falls on one family, no matter how good the family is, and it's about as good a family as you're ever going to get. And uh, and so uh, we're going to wish Lord the hearts the best by next Wednesday night. They'll not be here, so we need four people. They're not here tonight. I don't know who those four people are. They're going to be replacing them on a regular basis on Wednesday night. And so, uh, but uh, what's that? That, that's right, it'll be vacant if we don't, so if somebody think about it, then uh, maybe somebody will step up to the plate here in regards to that, but we're going to go right to the preaching of the Word of God here, and I'm going to end at a certain time here, we're going to have our prayer time. Galatians chapter 5, and let's keep some things the same, let's stand in respect the reading of the Word of God, let's read all 15 verses of the first half of the chapter, Galatians 5 verses 1 through 15, and reading responsively. all right? Galatians 5, 1 through 15, reading responsively. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace." For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord, that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. May God as blessing to the reading of his word. Um, you may be seated tonight dear. We want to just rapid fire go through the way of introduction, and I want to park at a few spots here along the way, of course. But uh, we've looked at um, four chapters thus far in this Living in Liberty series on the book of Galatians. We looked at Born Free, uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, Freedoms Fight, chapter 3, Bewitched or Deceived, and chapter 4, of course, we sent several messages on the sons of liberty. But we want to look at tonight here this, uh, this subject of liberty, part 1 of probably three messages, the subject of the liberty, not bondage. Uh, we are not bond sons, as Ishmael was in chapter 4, but we are free men, as in Isaac, and, uh, in chapter number uh, 4, the preceding verses, of course. And uh, we, are, uh, we are not bond sons, and we're also not in, we're in liberty in Christ. The key verse of the chapter, of course, is verse number 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. There's a sister verse. In fact, it's verse 13 we'll get to in a moment. That's couple it needs to be coupled with verse number one to understand it in its fuller context. But I want to look at, if we could, if we could, in the moments that we have together, the position of freedom at issue. Verse verse uh Roman number one on our worksheet, or number one rather, on our worksheet, the position of freedom at issue. Paul gets downright, we could almost say. Humanly speaking, mad in regards to the foolish Galatians falling into uh, a work grace relationship uh, with Christ, saying that they have to they were they began by grace, but they had to keep their salvation by works. How foolish that was! Galatians three one through three says. So, he, he, we see the consequences of this this uh, of freedom versus apostasy in verses one through six. They devolve into a religion of works. We see in verse number one. Notice letter A, the admonition. He says, the admonition, he says, stand fast, therefore. Every time you see the word therefore, you need to see what it's there for. Of course, the therefore referring to the previous 10 verses of the previous chapter, really, and uh, all the dissertation in between Isaac, the son of, uh, or Ishmael, the son of the flesh, Remember of Hagar, and uh, he wasn't the promised son, was he? Uh, the uh, promised son was Isaac. And uh, Isaac is the—the the admonition was that there's liberty. He's a freeborn son. He didn't deserve it. Uh, it was all by grace. Isaac uh, received the blessing. Isaac, of course, is the progenitor of the Israelite race, and we are uh, of the sons of Isaac. If we are sons of God. Remember what Isaac means. What's the word? Isaac means what? Oh, come on! You got to know this. It means. Isaac means. Ha, 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 you don't get it. Laughter. Isaac means laughter. Now, I say that in context. We're, we're sons of Isaac, per se, not sons of Ishmael. We're not sons of the flesh. We're sons of laughter. Sons of the flesh should live in fear. Sons of uh, chosen sons live in freedom. And we are, you know, I spent much of my life, and I still fight this here, this great book, of this emancipation book of Galatians, I spend much of my life as a Christian always feeling unworthy. Well, here's the answer. Of course we're unworthy. We're all unworthy in ourselves, but our worthiness comes from Christ. So we're accepted in the beloved. I always use my grandchildren as illustrations, especially Carter now. He said, every I was home three or four times today, just back and forth from the house, and Sonny's babysitting Carter all day. And he, Papa, he comes up and he does the hug. He puts his head down, and I kiss him on the head. hug, hug. And I give him a kiss, of course, and, uh, uh, and uh, then he, he goes, mwah, and uh, he knows how to kiss, of course, you know, but uh, he's, he knows he's, he's, he thinks he's the favorite of grandpa. Well, for that moment in time, he is the favorite, of course. And the fact of the matter is, we are favored of the Father. We are favored by Christ. He, we are totally accepted. We're totally loved, and that brings deliverance and freedom. So we see the admonition of this position of freedom at, at issue, the consequences he says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the of bondage. Don't be and live in fear. Then we see letter B, the alternatives, verses 2 to 4. The alternatives of living in freedom is to live in fear. The alternatives of, of living in Christ is to return to Judaism or to return to a works religion. And uh, we see verse number 2, that uh, first alternative is to have Christ be of no profit to us. Behold, I say, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Remember in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, the, the Judaizers said, except ye be circumcised, ye, ye cannot be saved. If there's something that we have to do to be saved besides just believing in Je- Jesus Christ, man, well, now we've got a works-based religion where, where Christ profits you nothing. It's either Christianity is all Christ. It's not part of Christ. It's, it's all Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Christ profits you nothing. On Christ's solid rock I stand; all other ground is sinking sand. So Christ alone, in Christ alone, is our sufficiency, is our hope. And to Christ all, He's our all in all. It's, it's it's the alternative is rejecting Christ uh, to to think that we have to keep our salvation by some form of work or some way of identica- identifying as a Christian. Verse three. Notice that Paul goes on to, by using simple Old Testament logic, he says, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. You see, return to Judaism means an obligation to serve perfectly the law. James says, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offended, how many points? One point, he's guilty of how many? All. All. You can't just pick and choose. Say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to, you know, it exasperates me. I don't have time to run this rabbit trail along. But the, the Seventh-day Adventists are such. It's a it's Baptist church. It's Wednesday night. I'll just say, they're such hypocrites because they pick and choose which Sabbath laws they want to obey. They say, well, we're we're right with God because we obey these laws and these laws will get us to, But they don't obey all the laws. They're hypocrites. They're massive hypocrites. It's astounding to me how, how hypocritical and Seventh-day Baptists, the same thing, there are a few Seventh-day Baptists around and trying to keep the Sabbath. No, Christ is the end of the Sabbath. He's the end of the law to everyone that believeth. So the alternative is either you're free in Christ or you're in bondage. You're either in bondage to some uh, idiotic idea that you can, there's one thing that you have to be, along with being saved, you have to be circumcised or you're in bondage because you, you, you're under the whole law and Christ profits you nothing. Thirdly, Paul, he's really, he, he's, I picture a boxer. And uh, some of you ladies, I hope none of you ladies ever boxed. But, uh, you know, not that I was a, ever a tough guy, but I boxed quite a bit in college, especially you know, some a little bit in high school. And boxing is a sport, by the way, it's not a, but anyhow, uh, one thing about boxing uh uh, the, 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 there's an art to boxing and so forth. But you finally get, I mean, you got boxers, then you got a fighter, you got brawlers. And you got, and Paul, you get to a point where you're just beating on a guy, you're punching a guy. He's almost defenseless, and of course, and uh, Paul's beating on these people. He says in verse number four, he says, Listen, this is Marty shot language. He's, he's basically saying in his roundabout way, You big turkeys, listen to me. I'm trying to help you out. You're, you're, you're being t- stupid. And he says these words, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Shame on you, whosoever you are that are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. Now here, this is astounding here. Here's a verse that some naive Arminians use and say, see right there, you can fall from grace. The whole book is diffusing completely a contradiction of the idea that you could fall from grace. So what do do we see about this verse here? Ye are fallen from grace. Can you fall from grace? You can't fall from grace, but you can fall from the grace principle, or the grace belief, the grace understanding of grace. You know, my my kids, they can fall out of my grandkids can fall out of uh, good graces with Grandpa by being naughty and being bad, but they'll never fall out of grace. They'll never fall. They, they may think they oh, I heard Grandpa, and I want them to, you know, but uh, they'll never. Their, their love, my love for them won't wane. My love will still be there, be there for them, but I'll be disappointed with them. In Christ, you can't can't fall from grace, of course. You can't use one verse and use these selective verses to teach a false doctrine. The idea that you can fall from grace. The whole chapter, the whole book is talking about how you can't fall from grace. So you fall from the grace principle or the idea of grace or the understanding of grace. Paul says it's all right apostasy. So the admonition is, therefore... Uh, live freely because you're freeborn. You're son of God. The alternatives are well either Christ or go back to Judaism. Go back to no prophet of Christ. Uh, you got to live the law perfectly, and you're you're living an outright apostasy. But then, verse letter, letter number C on the worksheet. Notice verses five and six. The appeal. The appeal. The alternatives. The appeal, and the uh, the alternatives. Notice the two words, or the, the emphasized word in verses 5 and 6. It's the word faith. Let me read both verses. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. For in Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, neither circumcision faileth anything, neither uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. So these verses deal with faith. He, he's emphasizing this faith that's, that bring, brings righteousness, verse number five. It says, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Righteousness is the hope, the thing expected. And we wait, that word wait is the, is, the word means to wait with patience, with persistence, with, with confidence. Timothy says, and Timothy says, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know. You know, I've had a couple people over the years, I've won't give you the rabbit trail illustrations of uh, people try to question whether I'm saved or not. And, uh, and I just, I just, I've ever just almost smiled getting getting almost tickled. Like, uh, <laughs> yes, I know I'm saved. I know I'm more saved than I know I'm standing here talking to you right now. I know whom I believed in. I have a hope, a blessed hope. I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know, I, I absolutely know I'm not worthy. If I thought I was worthy, I probably wouldn't be saved. I know there's no righteousness in me. But I know my righteousness is in Christ. See, I'm putting all my hope, not, not 99% of it in Christ. I'm putting all of it in Christ. That gives liberty. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My appeal is, my, this righteousness is, is the hope that I'm waiting patiently for the day when my hope shall be, my faith shall be sight. So we see this appeal, verse number six, is the principle, uh, we see the principle on which this appeal rests, or this righteousness rests. Notice what it says, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything. The church all started off, the New Testament church in Acts chapter two is all who? Jews, right? Well, pardon me, all those males were circumcised. And then Peter goes, Acts chapter 10, you know the story well. He goes to Cornelius, one of the uncircumcised Gentile. You know the story. It's like, these guys can't even be saved. Well, how wrong they were. And so Paul reminds them, listen, you Galatians, what are you, crazy? Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether Jew or Gentile, it doesn't make a hill of beans of difference in regards to salvation through Christ has nothing to do with the flesh. And then he goes on to say this, verse number 6b, latter part of the verse, but faith, he says, your circumcision or uncircumcised. it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you're Jew or Gentile, bond or free, rich or poor, whatever, but faith which worketh by love. Our faith, by the way, is not a dead faith. It's not just an intellectual faith. It's not just mere faith. It's an energetic. It's alive. It's a passionate faith. It's passionate truth. I again. I know whom I believed in. It's a faith that that, that energizes. It saves. A faith that, a faith that's out of love. That He would save a wretch like me. By faith, I received Him as my Savior, and He He came down and He, he saved me. And Paul makes this appeal. He makes this appeal to that of this hope of righteousness to wait for it expectantly, knowing that it's going to come to pass one day. He makes this, he makes this uh, appeal of, of uh, faith that is a real faith, not just an intellectual faith or a dead faith or a mere faith, but an energetic faith. But then we notice verse number two or number two on the worksheet. Notice not only the, the position of freedom at issue, the consequences, verses one to six, but notice verses seven to 12, the perversion of faith involved. He begins to transition to talk about the perversion of faith involved, and he talks about the confusion. And in these verses, verses 7 to 12, Paul expresses some impatience with these believers. I shouldn't admit this, because sometimes he gets so mad I turn the radio off, I turn the radio off myself. And. Sometimes uh, I listen to Michael Savage from time to time. Now I know some of you probably hate him, don't don't, don't like him. Some of you probably love him. I uh, have a love hate relationship with Michael Savage. Sometimes he gets he just he sometimes he turks, ticks me off, and he he's not a Christian and so forth, and he says dumb things from time to time, and he bothers me. Another time he's right spot on, and I I kind of I'm going to turn him on and I turn him on, and I I like him overall what he says, but he he uh, he can be caustic, he can be he can be abrasive. He can be downright mean. He can be, I mean, he calls, you know, well, here's Paul, and I ask the place, is, is there a place for that? Well, I think we see some of this in this chapter. Paul expresses some impatience with some believers, some serious disappointment that's putting it mildly, and even some infuriation. We see that in verse number 12. We'll get to that in a moment here, but I would that they were even cut off. I'll explain what that means in case you don't know. Paul, and I've often wondered this. I've seen preachers use this. I've used it from and I think it can be used, but I to think I think he uses this venue of teaching very carefully this venue of sarcasm. Paul, I see Paul sarcastic in the word of God several times. I see where Elijah was sarcastic. Remember at Mount Carmel? What's the matter with your God? Is he does he sleep Is he out to lunch? I'm paraphrasing. He's mocking him. We see the prophets mocked as, I think there's a place, they see Jesus Christ mocked, uh, he, called, he, he called Herod that fox. He, I think there's a place in time where in some sarcasm, some some infuriated, some just in your face. Uh, Corey, Corey, what's his name, Lewandowski was, on, was in front of Congress the other day. He was using some serious. Some people loved what he said. Some people hated what he said. How, how dare he talk to congressmen like that? We well, hear how the congressman talked to talk to people, and, and uh, so there's a place for it, I, I really believe, and he begins verses seven through nine, notice the error experienced, he says verse number nine, regards to the confusion of this perversion of their faith, four things, four facts, he says, first of all, verse number seven, he says, ye did run well, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? He he. The the believer has been hindered. He says, "Listen, you. Once upon a time, once upon a time, you ran well. You know, we're in a race. You know, one of the greatest heartbreaks in the Christian faith is. Uh, I mean, aren't you glad? Let me let me pick on the hearts on purpose, just for fun here, because uh, aren't you glad they're leaving to go to another gospel preaching church? They're they're leaving because of the call of God. They're not leaving for wrong reasons. They're not leaving just because they're just they're they're just tired of Christianity. They're fed up, or they're just gonna." They're mad at Harvest Baptist. Or, no, they're leaving for God-called reasons. There's different reasons why people leave different churches. Some people run well, and some people don't finish their race with joy. Some people don't finish their, I can preach right here for the rest of the message. We're, we have a race that we're running. I want to finish my course well. I started halfway okay, pretty good maybe. I've run, the middle distance is okay, but i got a long ways to go. I'm 61, I might live to be 91. I doubt it, but it could happen. You know, I don't know, it could be 30 more years, Brother Jim. I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with our future. But uh, we want to run well. He says he did run well, for a time they ran well. But then they quit running well. Somebody hindered them. And uh, uh, a wrong doctrine, a wrong belief hindered them. And so, uh, notice the effects of the hindrance, that you should not obey the truth. Uh, that word "obey" in verse number seven has the idea of, of persuasion, or in other words, they adopted another persuasion. Uh, this is delicate. Uh, I'm looking around, man. No, nobody would know who I'm talking about, so I'll just use it. So we had, uh, you know, someone in our church years ago, many years ago. Now it's been a lot of years ago. Now they're a missionary today. But they're a missionary of a different faith, a different persuasion. They're wrong. They were a missionary. they're in a denomination that says you can lose your salvation. I never taught them that. I never taught them that you had to dress a certain way and look a certain way and, and persevere to the end to be saved. They got baptized in our church. I baptized them, and now they're of a different persuasion and different ism. That breaks my heart. They did run well, but they, they, they were persuaded. You know, the Bible says that, that some of the saints' emissaries are so powerful that if possible, they would deceive the very elect. And uh, who did run you, Who did deceive you that you should uh, uh, obey, uh, obey a false gospel? Verse number 8, for time's sake here. This persuasion, that word obey in the previous verse has the idea of persuasion or Again, uh, to adopt another persuasion. This persuasion, or substitute in other words, this substitution cometh not of him that calleth you. Now back to, in fact, just turn two pages in your Bible, go back to Galatians 1 and just look at it again. He, Paul says, I marvel, verse number six, one, 6, I marvel that you're so soon removed, you took a substitute from him that called you into the grace of God into another gospel, which is not another but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And then Paul goes on to say, Though we are an angel from heaven preaching, let them be accursed. Two times he says in verses, verses 9 and 8 and 9. The whole thesis of this book is how foolish it is that you would substitute the pure grace of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for anything else and pervert it and pollute it and destroy it and and, uh, and be persuaded by a, a false persuasion, an apostasy. And then he makes this Verse number nine. He gives a warning. He says, "How much leaven, leaven, the whole, whole, the whole lump? Ready? A little leaven. A little leaven. A little bit of listening. Just a little bit of sympathy. Just a little bit of tolerance. Uh, many examples I could think of right now. That pop in my head, and, and just uh, I see, I see uh, Christians, and I'm not against." You know, I'm not afraid if you listen to a preacher on the radio or on the television or what have you, or on the internet, what have you, and so forth, uh, you got to be strong enough in the faith that you'll be able to discern what's right from what's wrong. But as newborn babes in Christ and as moderately new Christians, nobody wants to think they're rookie Christian or there's, uh, they, haven't, they haven't learned after years, they want to think that they're a veteran Christian many times. There's some very smooth teachers out there. Uh, I saw yesterday on the internet, I'll give you one just example. A mega church pastor in California, you see that? A young yuppie preacher who committed suicide the other day. I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about him. I imagine, I'm hoping he's in heaven. I'm hoping he received Christ as his savior and then he's born again. But telling other people how to live and then he debunks everything he said by, and I don't know the uh, the circumstances behind it, but he committed suicide. What kind of testimony is that all about? And, uh, but people followed him, and people people might, may, their faith might be shattered because they've followed a man. Be careful who you follow. A little love and loving is a whole lump. A little bit of sympathy. Well, let me just hear what he has to say. In the uh, the parable, the the allegory of the holy war by Bunyan. Satan gets into this battle for man's soul, and Satan, uh, Di- Diabolus was his name in the allegory. He doesn't know how to get into pregnant and get into the into the heart of a man's soul. So he says he did it through the pssst, ear gate. And uh deceiver came to the ear gate and he began to, Yay, hath God said, He shall not eat. And God's saints' ways haven't changed at all. He, be careful who you listen to. The good people out there that seemingly really good people that have false doctrine. I, I gave the illustration in. I'm just gonna wrap up here and I'm not gonna finish tonight because it takes me too long to finish, but I'll give the illustration. When my father is in the hospital uh last January was or December I guess it was Christmas time. We went out to Ohio real fast, whirlwind trip. And I think uh my dad was in Nashville hospital and there was a Church of Christ preacher in the bed next to him, of course. why well, I didn't know he was a Church of Christ preacher. struggling with conversation with him, I forgot his name now. I'll say his name is Jack, I don't remember. And uh, and he's an 80-something-year-old guy, and real nice, friendly guy, congenial guy, nice guy and so forth, Church of Christ preacher. And uh, I found out he was a preacher and so forth. Well, I treated him as a brother in Christ. Hopefully he was, but I don't know. And his wife came in then uh, the next day, and uh, I said to him uh, on the way out, I knew I'd never see him again. I said, Jack, I'll see you on the other side, something like that. And his wife's piped up, and I give the illustration before, she says, well, let's hope so. And I, I just was like, I was kind of taken aback. I didn't know how she meant that. It was supposed to be a joke, but she didn't say that as a joke. Let's hope he's there. And I, I wanted my heart just sunk. It was like, what do you mean you hope you're there? You spent your 50 years of your life preaching a, a gospel that you think after the end of your life now you hope you're going to heaven because you got baptized? How sad. I mean, Paul, Paul gets so mad and uh, he says some, Lord willing, we'll look at this next week. But he says some very egregious stuff, very very in-your-face, very pointed stuff. Verse 12, some of you might figure out already what that's talking about, but we'll leave it for next week and talk about it. Paul says, I would that they were even cut off. You think circumcision helps you? Well, why don't you go all the way is what he's basically saying. I'll let you, most of you can read between the lines, of course, and figure out what he's trying to say right there. But uh, the error experienced. And then the effects expected. Well, well, I think we're going to end with that here tonight. Here You're on the solid rock, I stand. Rebecca, for the last time, get on that.